This week's episode is sponsored by Custos. Custos is a podcast hosting platform that helps you grow your audience through public podcasts and offer exclusive content through private ones. The WP Mayor podcast is actually hosted on Custos and a whole process has been great from the very start. Check them out at custos.com. Hi, this is Gabby Galea and welcome to the WP Mirror podcast. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Jared Bauman, co-founder and SEO of 201 Creative. 201 Creative helps businesses in three main areas. First, they enhance your SEO, producing more leads for your online business. Second, your SEM, search engine marketing. This will supercharge your growth by increasing awareness and demand. Finally, we'll also talk about SES, search engine sales. The sauce pillar will help you turn your SEM into real money and real customers. Join us in learning more about what these three pillars mean and how they can help you boost your website. Hey, hi, Jared. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's nice to have you on. Great to be here. Thank you. Today, we're joined by Jean. How are you, Jean? Hello, everyone. I'm good, thanks. And excited to see, to learn more about uh, all the topics we'll be discussing with Jared. <laughs> me too. So, Jared, you're the uh, co-founder and CEO of 201 Creative. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about your company, how it was formed, and what you actually do? Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, we are a, a digital marketing agency, and uh, it, there's so many avenues that you could uh, specialize in or work with clients in. We serve clients in three main areas, SEO, social media, and uh, in email marketing. Those are probably the three pillars that the company focuses on. To be honest, the majority of the work we do is is around more of the SEO topic, which mm-hmm. which uh, which would be helping websites optimize themselves for search, and whether it's on the the technical side or it's on the the organic side with content and links. So, uh, yeah, we've been doing that that for several years now. Um, myself and my business partner have a, a long standing background in, in marketing and have always used online marketing sources to grow uh, the businesses we've been involved in. And so it just made sense to start a, a company that, that, that just did that and focused on that for other businesses. That's great. So who's your target audience when you talk about businesses? Is it small businesses or more towards the agency type of things? Yeah, it's, it's, I'd say small to mid-sized businesses. Okay. Um, our clients kind of stratify all the way down, you know, from a very small business, a local business, um, a single a single operator business. Those would be you know, kind of smaller clients up to mid-sized businesses doing revenues in the 50 to $100 million mark. I'd say that we tend to focus on creative niches. So that can be um, anyone or business uh, ranging from um, you know the creative space to the, uh, the invention space to startup space. So uh, SaaS spaces, these types of products. But, you know, really, I think at the end of the day, small to medium-sized businesses is about where we've landed in terms of uh, uh, the type of clients we normally serve. All right. And it's mostly um, people selling products or is it also for blogs and these sorts of websites? Yeah. Yeah, boy, we've, we've, seen, we've seen quite a, quite a bit of it. I mean, at the end of the day, when you, when, you, when you have a focus on SEO, you really are able to attract a, a wide array of clients because you can use search engine tactics to grow businesses from e-commerce, so selling products. We have several clients who, a great case study that we, that we tend to attract um, as an avatar 
would be a client who has a product that's uh, or several products that are doing really well on Amazon, but they want to try to move as many of those sales as possible off of Amazon and into a like a Shopify environment. So mm-hmm. we'll help those clients there. Uh, a number of, of service-based businesses, that's a very common one, especially when it comes to local businesses, so your, your neighborhood veterinarian, um, uh, perhaps say a restaurant that has four or five locations, stuff like that. And then, yeah, content sites for sure, sites that are selling either SaaS or content in general, and then uh, courses, uh, education, consulting, and using oh, okay. content to drive that growth and that, that traffic. Yeah, so it's a really wide range of clients that you've got there. It is, it is. I mean, I would, I would think maybe down the road we'll we'll try to focus on a specialty, and we've certainly been looking for that. But I think the the benefit of doing SEO for a wide range of clients is that it's very interesting, and you learn something new every day. I mean, every time we take on mm-hmm. a client, you end up somewhat becoming a bit of a not an expert, but you you have to learn a lot to to truly market them. So it keeps it very interesting and fun. Just to jump in, then, I mean, in, in, we ha- we own a product, a digital product, and then we have two content sites, one of which is WP Mayor, and the other one is my personal blog, which has grown of somewhat of a reference in the financial space, as in like personal investment space, I would say. So these types of clients, which I think are also the main bulk of our audience, if sites like this come to you what's your process how do you start i I also saw which intrigued me that you guarantee some results is that right and i also wanted because i think a lot of the challenges that i meet when speaking to other bloggers especially is like we all know we need to do seo scm and all this stuff but many of us have just been blogging maybe found some success first of all we don't have the time to get into all this uh, technical stuff and we don't really know whether it pays or not. So for me, the biggest challenge was, will I spend a ton of money, say on Google Ads, for example, which are a classic, I think, uh, money drain for those who don't know what they're doing. I've heard lots of stories for people who spend a couple of thousand grand a month and then they got no results. So that goes out of the window and they never touch it again. So I'm curious to see how you touch it, how you approach it, especially in the light of the guarantee that you're giving. Yeah, it's a great question. And frankly, almost everybody that we end up speaking with that's interested has, um, I'll, I'll use the term, has been burned before, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they got, you know, uh, in trouble or anything, but just they had a bad experience, whether it's a, a bad Google ad campaign or maybe, uh, you know, invested in in blog content that never went anywhere. And and that I think that story almost shapes and, and provides a framework for why we are around my background Again, I mentioned earlier about how I've always used online marketing to grow businesses, but it's all—it's honestly SEO that was the one nut I couldn't crack right out of the gate when marketing. And and we subscribed to the idea many years ago at my company that if you just write good content, then the traffic will come. You know, that was a a common theme that resounded around around the marketing industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll tell you that it never did come. <laughs> <laughs> and we had written hundreds of probably 100 or 200 articles, all really well written, um, you know, expertly researched uh, uh, on topic, on point. And the traffic never did come. And it caused me to go down this rabbit hole of trying to determine, well, exactly what was wrong there. And uh, what I what I think to, to, to lead into your question, to answer that, the biggest problem that 
we see is that most marketing these days is done without a really, really solid plan in place. And it's usually done with the best of intentions. But unfortunately, the way that marketing has grown nowadays is that you really need to have a lot of specialists in your camp to pull it off you know, successfully. Uh, if you want to write content, you need to be an expert or have an expert in your camp to publish content that ranks nowadays. It's not not as easy as it used to be. If you want to run ads, whether it's uh, Facebook ads, uh, Google ads, you need to have an expert in your camp. If you want to grow your uh, your social media accounts organically, if you and I can go on and on down the list. If you want to, you know, market to people via email and and use webinars and tripwires and upsells. All these things require specialization now. And so that's really where the role of an agency can come in and help is providing someone, an individual or a company with that specialized approach that where there's an, an expert, a subject matter expert that can actually tackle content writing, uh, whatnot. And so sometimes that's where people can end up getting a little bit burned. And it comes back to the idea of having a plan and having a plan that, that you can stick to. Setting a plan for uh, a company is typically where we would start and almost always the most important thing to the point where while most companies end up utilizing us to execute that plan, frankly, with a good strategy in place, you can then go take that and plug in all the details around that. But as long as you're on a good plan and you stick to that, that's typically the most important thing and why we're able to to really put our our, our namesake behind um, behind what we do and, and really provide those guarantees. Okay, let me give you a different angle. In my case, my content, I never did any conscious SEO of any type, I think, but my content was still really successful over the years. Granted, it took many years. I wasn't really particularly looking for any success. It was just my personal blog. And then after four years, it suddenly started to rank, get a lot of traffic, drive affiliate sales. So to me, that was quite an achievement. But speaking to people in the industry, they're telling me you're leaving a lot of money on the table. So my question is, am I going to try to optimize things and waste a lot of money or... I'm I'm kind of a bit in that dilemma. I'm I'm happy to invest to grow it, obviously, and that that guarantee particularly hit home with me because that's exactly what I would want, you know. Because I'm already successful, I'm already making money. But if people are telling me, and I I obviously know that I've done not no effort. I imagine with some targeted effort, I would make better results. So, how would you approach that? Where would we start from? Well, first off, congratulations on the success and you're, you're downplaying it, but I think you've probably touched upon the most important thing, even without, you know, and I'm just taking words from what you're saying, but even without maybe a really solid plan for how to grow this website, you've grown it and you've grown it because you've shown up day in, day out, and you've published good content to it for four years in a row. And um, that's typically, again, going back to where we see all the problems that happen around people that kind of get burned or come to us and say, well, this didn't work, that didn't work, is a lot of times it was a great strategy, but it just wasn't executed all the way out. You know, the, uh, Especially mm -hmm. when it comes to an SEO strategy, a search engine optimization strategy, 
these things take time. You know, they really do. We're seeing the time it takes uh, extend longer. But the good news is the benefits will tend to last longer as well. And so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to your your website specifically, chances are that uh, a good strategy would allow you to, to, to skyrocket the growth. Typically, what we're seeing when we have a client that comes to us is that there's a lot of areas of untapped. Un, uh, there's a lot of untapped areas that, that, that you uh, might have missed. Or that are are, uh, are are areas you've delved into just briefly, but haven't doubled down on. As an example, when Google likes and prefers your website for a specific topic, where we find a ton of success and a huge recommendation I have for anybody listening is if Google likes you for a certain topic, go out and write every single article on that topic. <laughs> uh, write every variation that you can find. Answer every question about that topic. Uh, build out every um, comparison about that topic, really dive deep into the topic. Because right now, and this has been building for, for several years now, Google is hugely focusing on topical relevancy. Um, so th- for example, that would be probably an area that we would immediately focus on with your website is we'd look at, hey, what areas out of all the content that you've written, what areas is Google giving you a lot of love? Where are you really killing it? Where are you ranking number one? Is there a certain theme, a central theme? Are there a couple of themes? And then we'd probably focus on doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on those topics and making sure that you covered every single topic so that you could lean into the topical relevancy or the authority that, um, that Google's giving you at this point. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. And for sure, it would work in my case. And and you touched also on local SEO, which uh, makes makes a lot of sense as well. I'm going to ask about the global SEO, as I call it. I'm writing for anyone, really, who speaks English, though. So my question is, in terms of rankings, how is it determined? Is it by country or by language, first of all? And have you seen uh, many cases where... Say you've got successful content in English, can you easily enter a new language market, provided that there's like the same product would apply or affiliate links would still work well? Is it a case? Is it an easy easy win, so to speak, to translate that content? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever gotten that question. That's a really good one. <laughs> I would say from our from our work, it's by language. Uh, as it's it, well, okay. Let me let me tackle that from two angles. That's a really good question. Um, I would say that the language is going to be the predominant ranking factor there, but location is going to play a role in it. And the location plays a role. This is my opinion, more from just the amount of traffic that uh, search traffic that is generated from that country, we'll say, less because it is targeted or written in that country. Uh, for example, most of our clients are in the United States. And most of them, I think all of them, I can't think of an example that it isn't the case um, when it comes to the global side of things, like you called it. Most of them, their number one uh, country for traffic is the United States. However, for the vast majority of them, their number two and or number three countries are Canada and the UK. And um, if you were to compare volume of English speaking uh, you know, citizens, I suppose, uh, those countries would also be pretty high up on the charts in terms of English speaking volume. So from what i've seen it's going to be based on language first and foremost and then the country is less important even though it looks to be important it's most likely because of the number of people who are searching and therefore targeting and therefore getting traffic to your site from as a result of that Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting here in europe we have in a way it's a 
quite a big market, but then it's also very fractured because every country has its own language, basically. Mm -hmm. So I see people from the US, of course, because I write in English, the UK, Canada, Australia. But then there's also these countries in Europe where I'm not exactly sure, say Germany, right? I know most Germans would search in German. There are blogs which are entirely in German that are super strong. So that's a question I get. Would I, since I'm already getting traffic from Germany, would shifting my content to German also drive up the the rankings or does Google prefer someone who's been blogging in German for many years and it's a German blog, so to speak? I hate to give the classic SEO answer of it depends, <laughs> but in many ways it would depend. It, it reminds me a lot when you talk to... Um, the, the category of people who own niche sites, uh, who focus on content sites that are monetized specifically and almost entirely through ranking. And the topic of picking a niche comes up quite a bit. And uh, how, um, how far down do you niche down? You know, you want to write about uh, bowling ball or bowling, let's say. Do you make a website that's about just the general topic of playing games? Do you make a website and then just write content about uh, start out with bowling? Do you write, do you make a bowling site and make content just about bowling? Or do you niche down even further and make a website just about bowling balls? And you could argue on both ways, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, you could argue that certainly a site specifically on bowling balls will probably rank quicker and maybe higher for bowling ball topics. But then, you know, you're going to run out of topics to write about quicker. And the amount of traffic you'll get from that site over the course of time will be smaller just because you're going to hit a ceiling quicker. Uh, obviously, if you just write about games in general and bowling is one of those games, well, you have a incredibly high ceiling, but you know you don't have as much topical relevancy. And so it's going to take longer to rank for some of those topics and probably take a lot more work. That's the way I tend to think about writing Web, uh, building websites uh, in multi-languages or just building websites that target certain countries. I have friends who do very well, for example, targeting uh, Australia specifically. Even though it's an English-based country, they target, they build websites on the Australian platform. They build websites from the Australian, um, uh, targeted specifically at Australian products and, and Australian topics. And they do very well, uh, but their ceiling is capped because at certain point, the number of people that live in Australia compared to other English-speaking countries is more limited. So I hate to say it depends, but either way, I think you could succeed if you wanted to you know, make... A, it's funny, you mentioned German. Uh, that was the example I was going to give. If you want to make a, specific, a, a site specifically focused and written in German and targeting the German market... There's overwhelming data that would suggest that you'll rank quicker than if you try to take an English site and target German-specific uh, topics. But you'll be capped with a ceiling because Germany isn't as big because it's just one country in Europe as some of the other bigger countries or you know, bigger languages. So, How strong is the domain authority and the, fact, and the general factors of ranking? Because let's say I've got my site now has a good domain authority, but starting a new domain in German will have like zero authority and it has to be built up. How much is that a factor? Or should I even consider buying an existing domain? Good question. Good question. How big of a deal is, is authority? So a couple of things are key to look at there. I would say the general topic of domain authority as it stands, which is typically backlink related, historically is less and less important. That's not to say backlinks aren't important, but just the general idea 
of the power of a domain is 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 decreasing. We're seeing we're seeing it much easier to rank websites nowadays with fewer uh, links in general than in previous years. I'll say that's a very general statement. Now, there's a couple of things at play. So the sandbox that Google puts a new domain in is extending longer and longer. And it used to be that you, this is, we're, we're now dating ourselves here, but maybe eight, 10 years ago, you could launch a website and be ranking for a topic the next day. <laughs> and boy, those are the, those are the good old days. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> maybe four or five years ago, the sandbox was uh, maybe three to six months. I'd say maybe four years ago, it started lengthening to six months and longer. And now we're looking at nine months to a year. And what we mean by the sandbox is, it's the general term in SEO that when you take a brand new fresh domain and you publish content on it, it doesn't matter how much content you publish, within, within, uh, within reason, it's going to take nine months to a year before Google's going to start paying attention and actually giving you the kind of traffic and rankings that are naturally attributed with that content. And so that is where people are running to challenges nowadays with websites is it's very difficult to sit around for a year and wait for uh, to even see if you know the fruits of your efforts are going to uh, going to pay off. And with that being said, once you have topical authority with Google, it's not that hard to rank nowadays if you continue to write topically relevant articles. Going back to your space in the finance niche, and you clearly have topical relevancy amongst a bunch of categories or a bunch of topics. You probably don't need a ton more links necessarily to rank for a lot more of those topics. Uh, and you're working off of a domain that's been around for a while. And so you could probably st stand to publish a bunch of content right now and rank it, generally speaking, without a ton more links. If you're a brand new site, though, it's going to be a lot harder uh, for a year or so. And that's where we're seeing a real reemergence of using age domains or expired domains as a platform to launch a site or to get quicker traction. So, um, and we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of people have success with that, including some of our clients. Yeah. Another question before I pass the mic back to Gabby, in terms of uh, niche, you mentioned uh, earlier on that it's good to double down on what already works. In my case, since it was a personal blog, I had a curious situation where I was writing about very different stuff, about finance, about sports, about expat life. And interestingly enough, most of these topics were working. So I would have the top five articles would be from completely different niches. And what I saw was also, for example, just to give you an example, I'm writing about life in Spain. And then I have, just because... Uh, People are visiting life in Spain. Maybe they moved from the UK. They are also looking into where to start investing. And so they would also then visit my other articles about investing. This was all unconscious. It just happened that way. But I also see maybe, maybe it's interesting to combine different topics apart from what Google does in terms of rankings, but from a visitor's experience, I think it could work as well. But my question really is whether Google penalizes having different topics or whether it helps. So it's going to depend on the other topics that Google has to pick from to rank for that topic. And, you know, I will consistently see a site when we're doing maybe research for a client or just poking around the internet because I'm always kind of curious, but I'll consistently see websites that don't have a certain topical theme or are not 
topically focused and they're ranking for everything from, you know, a vacuum cleaner all the way up to, you know, how to invest in cryptocurrency. <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> doesn't that defy what Google is, um, is, uh, is, is saying? I would say this, it's riskier and the, uh, the template for success is much narrower. Uh, it's a safer move and we're seeing many more websites uh, rank when they stay topically focused on a single genre or niche. And the case studies of sites that are working that are off topic or cover a multitude of topics that are unrelated, those sites are fewer and fewer. And they're also more susceptible to getting knocked down by a Google, um, a Google penalty or a Google. It's not a penalty. I shouldn't say it's an algorithm update. Uh, you wouldn't get penalized for that because you're not doing anything wrong. A Google penalty would be a manual action or something like that. But an algorithm update would certainly, uh, we see more and more and more kind of hit sites like that, more broad sites, sites that got off topic. Um, and I've seen sites get, get penalized uh, from a, there I said it, get hit by an algorithm update for being very, just, you know, barely going outside of their topical expertise uh, and it would it would suggest based on just looking at that that was why Google knocked them down a little bit in the rankings. So, can you rank for that? Yes. I mean, you're sitting there in Spain, and perhaps uh, when Google looks around at the other content that's available for some of the topics you write about, they're saying, "Nope, and you're the best. You're the best. You're the best topic. You're the best uh, content out there." So we're going to continue to rank you. But it's not their preference. They've talked about they want to rank and prioritize sites that are. Authorities, this is where we go back to EAT, EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And they, their algorithm increasingly wants to rank sites that are experts in that niche, that are authoritative, that are trusted in that niche. And so um, you can, but increasingly so, Google's looking for ways to rank content that is specifically, we'll call it for the lack of better words, topically relevant. Mm. It is a bit sad to know that... <laughs> Although I like talking about different things, I should focus on one. <laughs> but uh, so in the case of news, let me give you a quick let me give you a quick example. So we have a website, we have a client, and they uh, sell apparel, and their mainstay is a certain type of product, the women's product, and uh, they own the market on that product. And last year in 2020, they expanded into a couple other products that are related in your mind, but not related at all search wise. You would assume that if somebody buys this product, product A, the product they're a specialty in, that it would also make sense they might be interested in product B and product C. Um, it worked with the brand name. It worked across the board. And in early 2020, they started publishing content around this because they were selling it on their e-commerce store. And uh, in it, as, as it worked out, you know, I can't say for certain, but in May of 2020, I believe there was an algorithm update. And then in... Uh, December of 2020, uh, there was an algorithm update. They got knocked back in both of those. And so we went to them in early 2021 and said, hey, it really strong. We, we would recommend that we try eliminating those new product lines from your website. And I know that sounds really painful. And so really, at the end of the day, it's up to you. But you're, you're, that still only represents about 15% of your revenue because it's a new a couple of new product lines. And we're seeing declining sales across the board in your flagship product, product A, the one that you're a specialist in, the one that you own the market for. We're, we're losing some really key rankings. And we, 
We think it might be because we've diluted we've diluted the topical relevancy and the authority. And um, you know, obviously, it's just one example. But in the uh, in the June and July 2021 updates, after removing all the content about those new products and just doubling down, uh, updating all the content uh, from product A and just returning the site back to being focused on product A only, the site has skyrocketed and. Uh, almost doubled where it was last year at this time. And it's only one example. And uh, obviously, but it it does remind me, we kind of went a bit all in with that client by recommending that because it's a big deal to ask them to cut off a couple of new product lines. But um, but in that case, it really did, really did give us a great case study and example of this topical relevancy topic. So what would be the solution then for the company? Just launch a different website to yes. promote those products because they're good products anyway. That's exactly right. They're, they'll do a great job of those products. And if they weren't relying on organic search almost exclusively for their product sales, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But you know, in the case of a brand that's relying on organic search, we can really use that as an example of how Google looks at topical authority. And you're exactly right. You're going to have to launch another, another website or spend, um, you know, spend more time building up uh, yourself as a general, a more generalized product website before you start really, you know, kind of going all in on another topic. Mm. And I, I assume news websites like newspapers would be an entirely different beast because they do write about, you know, politics, sports and all these different topics. Well, yes and no. So I get that question. Actually, that's kind of funny. They are they are uh, topically relevant. They're topically relevant around news. <laughs> and so, by the way, if they try to write about sports from an evergreen standpoint, from a standpoint of like, you know, how to become a great you know football player. Well, I don't think they'd ever rank, you know, or they would have a harder time ranking because they're not topically relevant about football, even though they write about football, because what they're topically relevant for, what they're experts in is news. So breaking news, transfers, who won this game, who's, you know, out for six weeks with this injury, those type of topics. <laughs> it's really interesting. I just wanted to loop back um, into what you actually do for your clients. So we spoke a bit about, we spoke a lot actually about SEO. So you actually dive deep into the actual content and have a look at it. Keyword research is something that was listed on your website, content briefs, even article updates. So you do really get into there and get into the content. I'm now interested in the marketing side of things. So what do you actually do for SEM? Yeah, you, you touched on it earlier that we have a three-phase approach. It's, it's a bit unique. Uh, a lot of agencies... Uh, stop at the SEO phase. And really, SEO is search engine optimization. It's about optimizing your website and everything on your website for search. It's giving it the best chance possible to rank. But, um, you know, that's a bit like raising your child and giving them the best chance possible to succeed in life. And then when they turn 18, sending them out there and saying, well, just float around a bit. Uh, because we've given you the best chance, I guess you'll probably just succeed at some point. And no parent would say that to their kid. Um, SEO is the first phase. It's a very fundamentally important phase, but it, I think a lot of agencies do their clients a disservice by just focusing on SEO. And that second phase, once we've achieved optimization, is to focus on the marketing side of things. That's the SEM phase, and that's phase two of three for us. And SEM is is interesting because it's really about taking all that traffic that you're now getting from SEO, right? So you're getting all this traffic to your content and to your website. But a lot of times, if you ask people who have succeeded on the SEO side, they'll say, well, I have less content, but I'm not making any more money, really, or I'm not succeeding anymore. Like, 
all these metrics look wonderful. My page views are up. My, uh, t- you know, all, all the different traffic metrics I'm looking at are are, are mm-hmm. better, but I'm not making any more money. And the SEM phase, the phase two, is about taking that traffic and turning it into leads that your company can can start to sell to. It's about solidifying the brand message in the minds of your traffic. It's about weeding out in that traffic who is really your target market and who isn't. It's about identifying the three phases of traffic and making sure that you're accurately talking to each one. The top of the funnel content, those people that are attracted to the top of the funnel, these are the ones who are interested in the topic that your brand serves. They're not really interested in your brand or what your brand sells yet. Mm -hmm. They're just interested in the topic, the general topic. There's then middle of funnel content. These people understand the topic now, but they're trying to make a determination about what they need specifically for them. Which of the products in this market do they need? Um, what are the benefits and the drawbacks of each of those types of products? And then there's bottom of the funnel content. They know that they know the topic and they know that they need something in this topic. They probably have a pretty good idea of what they need. And they're trying to determine if it's your brand they're going to go with or if it's a different brand. Or maybe they know that it's your brand, but they're, they're between two uh, of the products you, you sell or the services you offer. And so traffic looks very different across that. You know, if you talk to the, a person who's still trying to learn and investigate what it is that the market you're in, and you try to talk and market to them in the same way that you market to someone who's ready to make a purchase and they just need help going through the final stages, then you're going to fail. And so the SEM phase for us is now that we have that traffic, we're going to focus on building leads, segmenting those leads. Uh, and then getting the right content to each of the leads based on where they are in the buyer journey, and then creating uh, funnels through email and through retargeting on social media to continually stay in front of them, nurture them, and get them to that bottom of the funnel stage where we can then sell to them in the next phase. I think that's it's easier for me to visualize for an e-commerce site. I'm wondering how it would work for, let's say, an affiliate site. So you've got content and you've, you've signed up to a bunch of affiliate programs. How would marketing tie in there? Yeah, great question. Because we that's a common one with affiliate sites. They're like, well, I get traffic and you know, we make sales, right? <laughs> uh, that's typically how affiliate owners are, are taught yeah. to, to build sites. But let's look at that. So you're going to, uh, on a classic affiliate site, you're going to have a variety of different types of articles. You're going to have your informational queries, your how-to, your you know, what is, your why does this do that, these very informational mm-hmm. queries, whether you're, you're taking more of a question-answering approach where you're going to answer common questions in the niche, whether you're going after building you know, big resources, how-to guides, those kinds of things, you're going to have your informational content. You're also going to have a lot of comparison content, you know, this product versus that product, um, uh, you know, this uh, informational topic versus that informational topic. And then you're going to have your, your more bottom of the funnel content. You're going to have your buying guides. You're going to have your comparison guides. You're going to have your, uh, reviews of specific products. And the way that you, um, monetize each type of content can really differentiate how an affiliate website makes money. The most common example nowadays is that people stick Amazon links on all of their content, and they might also throw ads up there. And that's a good strategy. That's a nice 80-20 strategy, I suppose. But really, what you, um, what you can do to really 
take the same amount of traffic and double or triple the income is to segment in your mind and segment in your approach those types of traffic and the informational content that top of the funnel content they're going to work really well to not just um, have some ads on there, but also to build an email list from. Build some helpful content that's going to move them over to your email list. And then you can start funneling that traffic, just like you would with an e-commerce brand, into middle and bottom of the funnel sales. Those middle of the funnel topics, the versus articles, that's good to start sneaking in some affiliate links because some of those people are ready and will be ready after reading your article to make a purchase. But those, that's a great place to move them over to maybe a webinar, a live presentation, a recorded presentation, maybe a podcast episode where you can really speak to them in a more one-on-one environment and help them move from middle of the funnel to bottom of the funnel. And then the bottom of the funnel content is where you can move people from a low-paying affiliate program like Amazon and start to leverage some specific relationships with individual brands and move them into a much higher-paying affiliate commission for yourself. And so when we break down the monetization strategies for an affiliate site using this method of marketing, usually we can see a sharp increase in in earnings for an affiliate site. That's really interesting. I never really thought of having different approaches for different content. That's great. Jean, do you have anything to add to that? No, it makes a lot of sense. I have another question, if you don't mind me switching topics a bit. (laughs) Sure. In the case of, again, I'm going back to the kinds of websites I'm used to where they're run by either one person like me running my blog or as a small team, which are more like a software team, whereas like the, the WordPress products that we built, where we have a product owner really who makes sure that the site is in order. We get a designer to design the site. And it's a small team. Budgets are not huge. At, at which point, first of all, there's two questions. At which point should we consider hiring an agency like yours? And secondly, on an ongoing basis, what do you see in a particular part of the work that should be done by the website owner and other types of work that should be better outsourced for a small team specifically? Agencies sp- specifically, I'll speak for ours with a perspective heart or a perspective mindset. I think you should approach an agency in one of two circumstances, when there's an expertise gap or when there's a scale gap. I don't think you should approach an agency and I don't think you should hire an agency when you're just hoping to you know, do better, grow more, get there faster. Expertise gap. Again, I spoke about it earlier in the podcast, but marketing is no longer a, a kind of a jack of all trades type of thing. I, I know because when I first started marketing 20 years ago, when I first started my first company, it was very much, hey, you you would hire a marketer for your company <laughs> and, you, and they would kind of do all the marketing things. <laughs> that doesn't really work nowadays unless you happen to be in a niche that's just very much um, specific. Uh, you know, Most niches, most spaces nowadays, most products, most services, you need experts in your camp. And so you'll hit a stage where you have a gap, where you're uh, looking to expand beyond the $500 a month you're spending on Google Ads and to do that and to get a good ROI, you need an expert in your camp to help you grow that, to get ROI out of that ad budget that you're going to start spending. Or maybe you've written content and it's done just fine because the content that you're that you're using is really to just send out your monthly email newsletter, but it never really ranks and you don't know why. And you're trying to expand your business and you have a gap in expertise on how to write that content. So the first spot I think that makes great sense to hire an agency is when there's an expertise gap. The second is a scale gap. 
And it, it, you know that might be where you are nailing it. You're ranking your content, but you just have a powerhouse of a content writer and they're doing a great job, but they can only crank out one article a week and that's all. And you need to scale that to achieve your goals or you are attracting a couple of links a month organically and that's been helping the website grow, but you want to take on some of your bigger competitors. You have a huge gap in links. You need scale. You need an agency to come in and build those links. And that's better than trying to hire someone and scale out processes. Not always, but those are the two circumstances that I really recommend businesses think about an agency. There's an expertise gap or there's a scale gap. When I, I see from time to time is uh, people are doing well and... Um, they they have some money to burn. And so they just come in and say, hey, can I just get an agency to come in and just, just do what we're doing and do more of it? Um, and that's that's a bit of a slippery slope. It can work, but it can also lead to what you what we talked about earlier, where you kind of feel like you got burned or you might be wasting your money. Because in that case, there isn't really a good direction for an agency to take you. And they're just trying to mimic the results you're already getting. And that can be difficult. That can be tough. It can work, but it can be tough. Let's see. What was your second question? I think I tackled your first one. What was your second one? Yeah, the second one was about when you have a small team, one person or small team that are not specifically running the website, which tasks do you think they should either start doing themselves or continue doing themselves and which tasks they should outsource? In my mind, I have, for example, monitoring rankings and competitors on tools like SEMrush, Hrefs. I feel that's quite an intimate part of knowing what you're doing in terms of where you're at in the in the whole market, right? And even getting ideas for what to write about. Should that I, I'm not doing it, to be honest. I know I should be doing it, but I, I don't. But I feel that perhaps I should be doing it myself. And if I hire someone, even if they see the data, they don't know perhaps the links of like Ah yes, that competitor wrote about this topic. It would really fit in with my my topic. It's something that I would know better, I think, because I I know the space. I'm not sure if this is correct or how how this. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, when when you're at the point where maybe you're considering whether an agency would make sense for you, it's that's that's a big decision already. And then you get over that hurdle, and it's like, well, wait a second, what should they do? I mean. I don't have the budget to let them just do everything, nor do I want them to just take over everything. So what do I have them focus on? So my recommendation, you can dive into it as deeply and as, you know, as, as much or as little as you want, but my recommendation is to do a SWOT analysis of your, of your efforts. Uh, SWOT is an abbreviation or an acronym, sorry, for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And you're going to look at not only your own team and, you know, and your own team could just be you if you're listening to this and you're just a marketer of one, there's nothing wrong with that. Look at where you're strong and give an honest evaluation. Look at where you're weak, give an honest evaluation. Look at the opportunities that are on the horizon. If I were to have double the amount of time and or double the budget, what would I go after? What are the biggest opportunities that I'm currently missing? And then what are the biggest threats uh, to me, not only right now, uh, and but also in the future, and th- that would be pretty competitor focused, like you like you had kind of mentioned. And that will usually, if you're able to sit down with your team or just with yourself, and really put some time and effort into listing out all the different strengths, prioritizing them, listing out all the weaknesses, the, the gaps, the areas that no one on your team is is great at, or that everyone doesn't really feel empowered in. 
look at the opportunities, you know, hey, where, where, what are we, you know, if we had more time and more money, what would we go after? What are the big areas that we just feel like we're so close to? And then the, um, the threats, the, the areas that we're vulnerable to, the, the gaps that we have, or the areas that we can be taking. If you look at it that way, usually it'll become pretty clear to you where you need to plug the gaps and where an agency can come in and help you. And we have a lot of success helping brand. Typically, when we work with a brand, we don't take on everything or anywhere close to everything. We typically start by taking on one to two areas. Maybe it's article briefs. So we're going to, you know, you have, a, you have a writer on your team. That's a strength. They're a good writer. That's a strength, but an opportunity is that your content isn't ranking for everything it could. And so in that case, an article brief, which is where we come in, we do the keyword research about the topic, and we get put together a brief for your writer that helps them uh, optimize their writing to search, make sure they're using the right keywords, make sure they're covering all the topics that are relevant and necessary to rank. And that's where you know you take a strength and an opportunity and apply a product that an agency supplies. Maybe a threat is that you're doing really well in your space, but you have a couple competitors that are gaining ground on you. Maybe you need to, 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 to pick up the authority of your, of your site. Just keep doing what you're doing, but the authority of your site needs to go up. You need to keep pace with that. Maybe link building is something that you would have an agency come in and just take care of that threat for you while you keep doing what it is you're doing well. So those are the different ways to take this SWOT analysis and then kind of apply it to where an agency can come in and help you uh, continue to do what you're doing well, but maybe help you either scale or make up for an expertise gap. All right. So Matt, well, from what I understand, anything can be done by the agency or by yourself. It depends on where the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats are lying and that's that's the really the main thing that you need to do before making any decision which makes sense for example in my case newsletters are another big thing that i see working for my competitor but i don't you know to be honest i don't like it because i i don't like having to do something every week yep <laughs> so if i could outsource that it would be great i just don't know if, i mean someone can come in and write with a similar outlook on things and voice as mine. It's, I think it would be very difficult. It's funny you mentioned newsletters. We just took on a client and they hired, one of the things they hired us for is, is to write their newsletters. And um, I said, okay, send me over an example of what you're doing right now. And then what, you know, is, it, is this what you want? Are you happy with it? Or is this example, you know, in this example, what do you want done differently? And they sent over the newsletter and they said, if you could just produce these types of newsletters, that'd be great. And I said, oh, they don't look very complicated. They look very simple, actually. You know, you're you're touching on some of the articles you've written. You're touching on some of the trending topics in your industry. You're touching on um, a recent client review. You know, you're doing this and that and the other thing. What what about it then? Is wh why is it you want um, us to do that? I, I you know, I'm kind of I basically I think I admitted it. But I'm not sure we're going to add much to this because of what you want. And they said it just takes me three hours to put these together. I just struggle with it. I sit there and I, it takes me an hour to write the opening paragraph. I just don't know what to say. It's just not my area of expertise. And I said, ah, well, great. So that's just a scale issue. You know, in that case, it's, you're wasting way too much time on writing a newsletter that looks pretty simple, but for a reason, that's not your, that's not your wheelhouse. You know, that's not your expertise, <laughs> but going back to what you said, the newsletter is very significant for their brand. They send out two a month and um, they get a, a great open rate. So it's really important that this, this brand continues to send those, but it is not a good use of that person's time right now. Yeah. I think that's something that I've struggled a lot with personally, things that work, but I mostly hate doing. <laughs>
It's also very, I mean, for, for everyone listening, it's, it's tough because, I mean, we work with about 25 to 30 uh, brands a month. Uh, that's our, our average. And so that has, and doing that for several years now, that's given me enough perspective to say there's very few hard and fast rules when it comes to marketing a business online. Some going back to the newsletter thing. I mean, this newsletter, they, they send us their, their, their stats. Uh, their open rates are fantastic. <laughs> their click through rates are fantastic. Other brands, we, we will send out newsletters on behalf of. We'll use the exact same strategies, the exact same tactics. We'll have the same, you know, setup, uh, the same systems in place. And I mean, they'll get a tenth of the open rates. It's very much uh, specific to your niche, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And that's where that strategy really comes into play and is very important. Going back to the foundation, going back to having an approach that you stick to that's strategic and that's well-researched. The biggest mistake that we see brands making is that they don't have a good strategy and they don't stick to it. They get shiny object syndrome, or they hear that their buddy's newsletter is doing great as so they start sending out newsletters, but it was never researched very well in the first place. And their industry doesn't need newsletters and doesn't respond the same. And so they get frustrated and they spend all this time and energy on newsletters when it never should have been something they focused on. And they should have been taking that time and focusing on what was already working for them and doubling down on it. So it just, maybe you shouldn't be doing newsletters, you know, maybe you're just fine. And, and in your niche and in your industry, what works really well is what you've already been doing and you just need to do more of it. So always take all that with a grain of salt. Uh, we all get lots of great ideas in marketing and it's important to, to go back to your strategy to execute it and to stay focused on it and stick to it like you have for what, four years, you said, just continuing to write content and continue to produce what you're good at and what you're doing well. And, um, and look, it's, 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 there's always ways to improve, but it's working pretty well. Yeah. Um, with regards to the Google updates, the algorithms and all that, could you give us an idea of what happened recently is that there were two updates in June and July of, of, I heard that correctly. And when something like that happens, or when you see a drastic drop in your rankings, how can one verify if that is indeed because of a Google update or because maybe it's a general theme that it's summer and people stop buying or researching your products? Yeah, great question. The updates are coming thick and fast this summer. Uh, we had an update that triggered, I believe, June 2nd, or third uh, of, of 2021. And, uh, you know, this is a recent trend where Google actually tell us that they're releasing an update. Um, they usually tell us the, the, the morning of, and then it rolls out later that day. And the June update was a little different in that it took a couple of days before anyone saw any effects of it. So I don't know if somebody forgot to press the button over there, <laughs> or if the social media team got a little, got a little punchy and hit the, hit the uh, tweet uh, a few days early, but it took a couple of days. <laughs> And what was odd about this one is they announced a subsequent update happening in July. So I don't know if I, I don't think as an industry we've decided yet whether we're calling it one update, the June July update, or whether we're discerning them as two different updates. They certainly appear to be related. So my my hunches will probably roll these into one summer update. And then they're also rolling out and have started rolling out in June and will take the entire summer to roll out. The um, a, a focused update on what they're calling the page experience update, which really is focused around mostly the site speed, the, the core web vitals, um, and an emphasis on site speed now in rankings for the really for the first time um, as a prominent ranking factor ever. So we've got a lot going on right now, and it is a mess trying to keep track of what is related to a ranking drop from an algorithm update or what's related to 
seasonality. We've also got the world coming in, out, coming out of, going back into all this COVID stuff. So determining what's happening right now with your traffic is, is a real mess. <laughs> it's a topic of constant conversation over here inside of our agency. Here's some factors to look at. Um, it's a little too early to, to give you a, a lowdown on the June, July update. Um, and they're getting harder and harder to interpret anyways, because Google's getting better at rolling in a lot of factors. But generally speaking, it is good to understand whether your traffic is uh, and a traffic drop is related to an algorithm update or is related to um, to something else. I'd say probably the easiest way to look at um, to look at it is to examine your traffic and look for sharp drops overnight or in one to two days. That's going to typically be the result of an algorithm update. It's very rare to see a website that's been hit by an algorithm update. It's very rare to see that happen over the course of a week or something like that. And the best way is to compare the same day. So I always say compare this Monday to last Monday. Don't compare this Monday to this Sunday because you might be in a niche where Sunday your weekend traffic is much higher than your weekday traffic. And so you start deep diving like, oh my gosh, my traffic on Monday fell off a cliff. And it actually falls off a cliff every Monday because everybody goes back to work and they're not, you know, gardening anymore. <laughs> and if you're in the gardening niche, I'm almost willing to guarantee that your traffic on a Sunday is going to be higher than a Monday. So understand how to evaluate the data. Make sure you're comparing same day, maybe, you know, the, 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 the Monday of this month compared to the same Monday last month. And if you see a sharp drop, that's typically most likely related to an algorithm drop. A lot of another thing to look at is to dive into where the drop happened. A lot of times, most of the websites we see, they're they're going to have three to five pages that make up the bulk of their traffic. And if you were to lose a uh, to drop in rankings for one of your main keywords on one of your big pages, that could, if you were just looking at it from afar, that could look like a big enough traffic drop to look like an algorithm update hits you when in fact, all you did was go from number one to number five for a very big keyword on a high uh, high traffic website. Sometimes it isn't an algorithm update at all. Sometimes you just uh, have an article that has been ranking and killing it for a long time or a page that's been doing great or an e-commerce uh, landing page, uh, uh, you know, that's been really doing well and you, for whatever reason, haven't been paying attention to it enough and it's gone from spot number one to spot number five for its main keyword. And, and that's where the ranking uh, drop has happened. So to bring it back full circle, if you, um, we, we are having ranking up, uh, sorry, algorithm updates happening every couple of months now. And um, it's important to pay attention to because the way you react to that is going to vary whether you got hit by the algorithm update or whether it's just a loss in rankings or a loss in traffic. And then finally, it could be seasonal. Some brands, some niches are extremely seasonal. Summer, winter. Uh, I was looking at a website uh, um, recently that uh, was in the Christmas niche. I don't need to dig too deep to know that that's going to be extremely seasonal and probably crickets in March and April and May and June and July. So, you know, you got to understand the seasonal effects as well. And that just comes from your, your subject matter expertise. So. Very good. So, so in general, an update would affect your whole website and not just a few pages very much almost always it's going to be um website domains domain on the whole yeah exactly i was actually going to ask you how long that's sort of the time frame that people work with you but i guess it sort of depends on the services you're providing if i'm not mistaken if you're doing yeah. something like 
newsletter, I guess that goes on for quite some time. Whereas if you're doing something like a SEO, it's more of like a one-time um, thing, but I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, our approach- with can, our- I, can I tie into this? Yeah, go ahead. Coming back to the guarantee, let's say we're convinced now, or our audience, so there are some people in our audience who are convinced about what you do and you guarantee results. So we come to you, how does that work? Great question. Yeah, well, as you can imagine, in order for this to work, we've got to give it. We've got to. We've got to stick with uh, producing the results. So we come up with a strategy, and we have to execute that, and we have to actually execute it month in, month out. We have to give it time, and um, how much time is going to depend on the strategy that we that we that we have and the KPIs we agree on. The key KPIs being key performance indicators. Most of the time, you know, because that sounds very, uh, uh, you know, uh, just very big pie in the sky. Like, where do we actually go with that? Most of the time, we look to work with a client for a minimum of six months. There are times we'll work with local businesses for less time because it's easier to get, typically, it's easier to get quick resu- quicker results with local businesses. They're a little bit easier to rank and to work with. But most websites, even most local websites, we like to work at least six months. And... Um, yeah, basically, we're going to sit down and we're going to evaluate your brand. We're going to evaluate your goals. It's a, it's a completely custom approach. And then we're going to come up with the KPIs, the key performance indicators. And uh, we look to target uh, a, a 3x increase in that on the agreed upon KPIs. And we look to do it in 6 to 12 months. Uh, and then uh, and then we you know come to an agreement on that, come up with a plan, and we start going for it. That's what that looks like in brass tacks. Uh, typically... Uh, we there's a phrase, um, you know, uh, it's always darkest right before the dawn. And uh, typically, that's what months three and four feel like. It feels like we've been doing this for a while now, and we still aren't getting any great results. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly on the SEO side, that is definitely how it feels. Uh, we like to get some quick wins from some technical updates. Fixing some technical errors can have a nice quick impact. We like to get um, some wins from CRO, uh, conversion rate optimization from really optimizing the funnel if there is one. But a lot of brands don't have any of that. They just have a lot of articles and a lot of content and they don't really have a full marketing uh, approach yet. And so in those kind of cases, it can be many months before we've gotten enough of the components in place to start to see some good traction. Um, and that's oftentimes in months three and four and stuff. So that's why we typically like to work with people for six month durations or longer. And uh, six to 12 months is a sweet spot. By 12 months, you should be seeing absolutely amazing results. And uh, yeah, I mean, we have some brands that have 15 X in, in one year. Uh, those, are the, those are the really nice success stories, obviously. But yeah, the, the, that's, that's the typical process for how long to work with an agency. I, I think it's important, whether you go with my agency or any agency, I think it's uh, you know, agencies oftentimes will not be given a long enough time period to uh, to really work. Uh, and so I think what you want to focus on as a brand is picking an agency that has um, a similar approach that you would take, that if you were building out the team yourself, the agency is taking a similar approach. Uh, I think you should be constantly measuring um, and monitoring that the executables are being delivered. That's really important. Um, you don't, uh, you, if you're not getting the executables and they're not being delivered accurately in a timely manner, then you do have a problem. But if you agree upon a strategy, you have a similar approach and the executables that have been agreed upon are being delivered, then I think that time is your best friend because you agree on the strategy, you agree on the way to do it, and it's being done. And in that case, uh, I encourage brands to actually, you know, give it some time. As long as you're paying attention to those details, 
time is your best friend. And we've seen over and over again that in that case, time ends up uh, yielding results. Very good. Yeah, make, makes a lot of sense. In terms of pricing, how does that work? How do you approach it? Yeah, it's going to, again, be custom, We, uh, but you know, we'll take on clients for as low as $2,000 a month. And that $2,000 can be spent across you know, our entire suite of services. Most people are spending five to six a month. But again, lots of local businesses are spending, you know, are spending two thousand, sometimes even less. I mean, we'll take on a client if for less than that, if if it's uh, if 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 we just don't think that the amount of work uh, that's required to help them hit their goals um, is gonna is gonna necessitate that kind of spend. But as a benchmark, two thousand a month is the right ballpark to come in at and um, and uh, to put towards growth. And then, like I talked about, that six month time period is probably a good benchmark for a minimum amount of time it'll take to uh, to get you where you want to go. And as for the initial you offer initial call, how does the the strategy part work where you come up with whether it's a good fit or not? And I guess this that's the first step and subsequently the plan. How does that initial touch point work? Yeah, so um, we do offer complimentary consultations where we'll get on a call. Uh, it'll be me. I'll get on a call with you. Uh, we'll talk about your brand. We'll talk about your goals. We'll talk about what you've done so far. Um, and then at that point, I'll be able to go back with my team and we'll run a couple of reports and evaluate if we think we're the, you know, if we think we can actually achieve your goals. Sometimes people come to us and they have goals and we'll say, we don't think we're, you know, we're not confident we're going to achieve those goals or we are, but it would take this budget. And if, unless you have that kind of budget, we can't confidently, uh, uh, go after that goal. So really it's, it's as much us vetting you as it is you vetting us. And I think there's a lovely tension there is that that initial call is about both parties vetting each other because we're not just looking for clients, we're looking for success stories. It, it doesn't do us any good to take on a client that we don't think we can um, really, really give them good results. So yeah, we'll do a call and we'll we'll hear about your goals. We'll hear about what you've done so far and what you want to do going forward. We'll um, do some analysis and then we'll come back and say, yes, we think we can take this on and we think that we can grow it to where you want it to go. And here's um, a strategy that we think would work well. Perfect. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Gabby, if you want to add anything else. I was just going to ask, where can our listeners reach you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, our website uh, for our agency is 201creative.com, 201, and then the word creative.com. Uh, if you want to connect with me personally, probably LinkedIn is the best place for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's just my name and uh, give you all those links and uh, yeah we have some some if you're if you're interested in reading uh about some of the different techniques we do we have a lot of blog content that kind of walks through what an article update looks like or you know why you'd want to use article briefs or things like that so you can kind of satiate yourself with some of that content on our website as well great sounds perfect perfect <laughs> yeah thanks a lot for the informative conversation and yeah i feel much more confident about working with agencies for sure and That's also true. yeah i mean it's a kind of it's not to sound obvious but i think for a lot of small players especially agency always means like a lot of doubt you know yeah. whether it's too much cost and too big for us and whether they really know things as much as we do because we're really experts in once some small domain so I think this one, this episode really put a lot of doubts at rest for me. Yeah, I can't speak for all agencies, but I know, again, I've, you know, just started this agency a couple of years ago, but I've been running businesses for 20 years. And whenever I heard an agency, I heard 
lots of money and lots of red tape. Those are the two things <laughs> I heard. <laughs> like, you're going to move at the speed of a snail and charge me a ton of money. <laughs> and um, that could be the case, but it doesn't always have to be the case. I think it just comes with aligning yourself with um, an agency that has a similar approach to you and can, can get into a good rapport with you in terms of executables and the strategy. Perfect. Yeah, I agree. Thanks a lot, Jared. Thank you. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here.